runs from your light. <clears throat> oh, if we just get a revelation of who we are, who we are in Him. Amen? Amen. Oh, Lord, let them see. Let them see. Father, thank you for this wonderful day, this Mother's Day. We thank you, Lord, for all mothers everywhere. We bless them. and We encourage them. We ask that you help them in every way. Bless them indeed. Pray the prayer of Jabez for all mothers everywhere. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much, for bringing us here together to worship you, to know you better, to grow in our relationship with you, to grow in the grace, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hello. Oh, looking good. All the lovely mothers here. My wife had to work today, and so did my daughter, but bless them anyway. That's the life of retail for you. Our holidays, we celebrate other times. God always gives us good times to celebrate. Helps us not to have to do things on the weekends. We take a day in the week, you know. Better avoid all this crazy traffic. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Somebody said, there's no way to be a perfect mother and a million ways to be a good one. I like that. It's kind of like our salvation. You just do the best you can. You do what you know to do and let God make the course corrections every 10 minutes all the way there. That's it. So today we definitely bless all mothers everywhere. All women everywhere. Amen? We thank God for you. What is this? It catches, keeps catching on the back. You're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 today, if you would. Genesis chapter 2. I'll try to make it brief. See how long I can keep the Chris's awake today. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Chris's around. We don't know who we're talking to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so beginning with Eve in the book of Genesis, the Bible is filled with amazing women. So starting in Genesis chapter 2, the 15th verse, 
We'll just look in on Eve for a moment. Just to learn from her. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read from the NIV because I think it's very clear on this issue. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I heard a preacher say one day, <laughs> yeah, the man was probably running with scissors or something. <laughs> the garden, God said, that's not good. <laughs> I'll make a helper suitable for him. Amen. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So man gave life to woman, and woman gave life to the world. We don't know much about Eve, the first woman in the world, and the mother of us all, the final piece of God's amazing creation, the icing on the cake, as it were, someone who shared in God's image along with Adam, someone alike enough for companionship, yet different enough for relationship. Greater together than they ever could be or hope to be alone. But everybody knows what happened, don't we? <laughs> I mean, there is something we do know about Eve. We know she made a, a terrible mistake, and it's identified her for all of human history. Satan came to Eve in the garden, the Garden of Eden, where they lived, where she lived with Adam. And he convinced her to do the one thing that God had forbidden them to do. Some say the reason that Eve was the first to, to eat of the forbidden fruit is because she's probably the only one that could remember where the tree was. I know my wife has to find things for me all the time. Genesis chapter 3, starting at the first verse, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
You see how he's slippery? He takes some truth and then he puts a little bit of leaven, a little lie in there to lead you off course. He usually put a whole bunch of truth and just a little leaven, just a little lie. Shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, he got frustrated, You will not surely die. He lied. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She was deceived. He wasn't. <clears throat> then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. In a single moment, by something that seemed so insignificant, so innocent, the beautiful mosaic of God's creation, the perfect relationship between God and man, his trust, our innocence had been shattered into a million pieces by a sin which seemed as small as a little pebble. Eve went on with Adam away from the garden. They were evicted. <clears throat> now that sin had entered in, if God would have allowed them to remain in that garden, they would have lived forever with that sin nature. You notice when they left the garden, they lived for hundreds of years. <clears throat> but God said, when you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. They died spiritually. That's why you need to understand the teachings about spirit, soul, and body, about being a three-part being. But... They died instantly spiritually, separated from God. <clears throat> we just look in the flesh, you see. So that might leave people guessing and wondering what. So they left the garden, and from then on they were under the curse, as God had told them. They struggled in life, but God still provided. They had children, Cain, Abel, and Seth. And, and many others, actually. But she had a son, murder a son, something a mother would never, ever want to experience. The first murder in the Bible. She struggled in life, never re recognizing 
or regaining that relationship, that innocence that they had once had when they walked with God in the cool of the day and fellowship. I'm glad, for one, that the death of the mother of all creation is not mentioned in Scripture. Satan did something that day to Eve, and he has been doing it to people ever since. He caused her to question God's goodness, God's provision for her life, her contentment. God had never left her lacking anything, and he never would have. But the devil came and he caused her to take her attention away from all that God had already done and provided and put it on the one thing that he had withheld. It's all too familiar story. It's the normal practice of people, even now, to turn their attention from all that God has done and provided and put it on the one thing that he has disallowed. I got to have that, you see. I got to have it. I got to have it now. Living from our emotions from our feelings, is dangerous business because they can be manipulated by Satan when we're not walking in agreement with the Word, when we have our eyes focused on something other than God and His provision. So our desires are so easily manipulated and God's timing never seems to be convenient when we're wanting the ungodly thing and the ungodly time. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the three original sins. Same, it's always the same. Nothing's ever changed. Every sin falls into one of those categories or more than one. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Anytime we disagree, with, when we know God's will and we disagree with it and decide to do it our own way, that's pride. You can call it whatever you want. <laughs> it's always pride. I know better. Or I'm just not willing to accept that. I need what I need now, my way. These three tactics of the devil, when they come in, unfortunately God is dismissed from our, our decision-making process. We find ways to smooth it over, to justify our emotions over true wisdom. And our desires aren't the best basis for our actions. We should always include God and His Word in our lives, in our choices, in everything we do regarding everything regarding that. And down to the smallest detail, God wants to be involved. Not as a slave master, but as the one who knows what's best for us and always wants that for us, which is best. Ever since the fall of man and woman in that garden, people have been questioning God's love, God's goodness, God's provision for their lives, living condemned and ashamed, continually aware of their nakedness, the nakedness of their sin, trying to rely upon themselves and others to provide for their needs instead of God. It's a trap. 
It's a trick of the devil. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief, talking about Satan, that old crafty snake, The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they, that you might have life and have it more abundantly, or to the full. The abundant life. A full life, a life of freedom, of victory in Christ. Why are we trusting in the spirits that we find in other things? I know we used to have signs, you know, I was a bar owner. Those spirits in the bottle, the bottle of booze, the bottle rattling around in my pocket. I trusted in all those, needed them to cover over all that I had done and Pushing buttons on that jukebox. Crank it up. Twist off the knob and beat on the dash, man. I don't want to hear God. That's what I was really saying. We need to be running to God's arms instead of other things. Not trust in our own strength to protect us. Instead, we need to be hiding in the, say, Psalm 91, the shadow of his wings. Oh, isn't that comforting? Unless the Lord watches or guards the city, the watchman labors in vain. You know? How many of you have some home protection? I know I do. I mean, I've got alarm. I've got everything within reach. Protect my family, and I'll do it. But first, I don't pretend to think that I can do anything apart from him. First, I pray his blessing, his protection, his covering over my family, over my home. It would be vanity otherwise. He's the one that gives me sleep, gives us peace and rest and protection. God wants people to come out of false religion, out of self-reliance, and into relationship with Jesus Christ and with Him by faith and revelation of His extravagant grace. I'll say it forever. The grace of God is boundless. The law was given by Moses and it demanded. It showed us, it was wonderful, it still is, it's perfect and holy and it's wonderful because it shows us how utterly sinful we are. It shows us our need for a Savior. That's what the Bible says, where sin abounded, grace much more. You see, what that means is we get a revelation when we realize how utterly sinful sin is in God's eyes and how much He hates it and how destructive it is and how it's always Satan lying to us because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. When we see that the penalty for all sin is death and we See how utterly helpless we are apart from God. What does that do for grace? It makes it seem that much more wonderful. Grace abounds much more because we 
so thankful for what God has provided through Jesus Christ. Read the Old Testament. Just imagine walking in those days and having to live that way. And just thank Him for being freed from that, if nothing else. <laughs> Man, it was rough. I can't imagine how many days I would have slept outside of the camp. If a lizard fell in your pot, Oh, I mean, it was crazy. And then they continued to add to it, you know. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're free from the bondage to sin, you see, and the shame of it through the cross. Jesus bore it. The blood of Jesus has freed us, made us clean, as white as can be, as snow. And I'm here to persuade people for the rest of the time that God gives me to grow in this personal relationship with Jesus and trust in God, in His goodness, in His love, in His power and provision of grace. But you have to convince yourself of something. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, Paul said, I'm convinced. And this is what you have to convince yourself of. And I'm asking you to, to try today. If you're not there yet, maybe you are. But if you're not, I want you to ask, ask yourself if you really, really are convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you convinced? We need to reject every lie of the devil. That would minimize or question God's goodness and provision and love and willingness to provide for our lives. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The kingdom of God is not a secret society. The kingdom of God is not just for those who live like the self-righteous hypocrites of Jesus' day. That he always condemned. That lived outwardly so perfectly. But the inside of the cup was filthy. Exactly. God's secret was Jesus. Who has now been revealed to everyone. Knowing God in a personal and intimate way. Is not only attainable. But Chris it's the very reason for our existence. Y'all don't know who I was talking to. <laughs> he's good. And he's good for us. <laughs> Hebrews ten seventeen says. And their sins. And iniquities. Will I remember no more. Wow. Righteousness has been imputed to us. You know what that means? Sin has no power over us, for starters. And that means that 
positionally, I've talked about it as an address before, but so positionally we have been removed from the, the state of sin to a state of righteousness. Not by our works. <laughs> Not by our works. It wasn't given to us because we earned it. But by faith in His work. Amen? That's right. But now, as we learn and grow in our new real identity, which is Christ in us, it will produce the life of godliness, of love, of godly, agape love, of holiness that religion is trying to achieve by its works. They've got the cart before the horse, you see. For sin shall have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Why is that important? To make people feel bad if they're still sinning? It's Romans 6.14, by the way. It says, sin shall not have dominion, no power over you. Sin doesn't control you anymore because you're not under the law anymore, but you're under grace. Why is that so, so, so important for us to know and understand and believe? Well, let me put it to you like this. What about the crack addict? The heroin addict? The alcoholic who says, who's been to a place where they helped them some to, to be free? But it's just day to day. It's just day to day, man. I'm always going to be this. That's what I am. I stand up in, at their meetings and proclaim I am this, I am that. 31 days free, whatever. They're not free. They're not free because they, they still see themselves as the crackhead. They still see themselves as the prostitute. They still see themselves as the liar and the thief. They still see themselves as the devil wants them to see themselves. And as long as they believe that, they're never truly going to be free. When we are saved, that spirit is redeemed. That one that died in the garden that day <coughs> and we inherited from Adam, it's freed and redeemed and renewed, incorruptible and perfect for all time. And now there's nothing compelling us to do the things that Satan used to talk us into doing. We still might do them. But it's a choice now. And so, when you see it like this, you see that knowing this isn't to point the finger and make someone feel bad if they're still living in sin, but to let them know that they've been empowered now to resist and to reject the devil. <coughs> to live victoriously in this life and the next. But make no bones about it. <coughs> God loves you, and He's good. He provided this by grace, along with everything else you'll need in this life, <coughs> and the next. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's you. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a good place to shout. 
That's Romans 4, 7, and 8. So we are blessed, not by our works, efforts, or accomplishments, but only by beholding Jesus and His finished work on the cross. In fact, our righteousness is still just as filthy rags in light of God's holiness, <coughs> according to Isaiah 64, 6. And we are truly blessed because all our sins are eternally forgotten, never to be remembered anymore. You know, continuing on in our celebration of women today, <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11 is a, the faith chapter in the Bible. Sarah and Rahab, only two women listed in the chapter acknowledging these great men of faith. There are two women, Sarah and Rahab. Sarah, <coughs> neither one of them were perfect, by the way. <laughs> um, Sarah, if you remember, when God had promised Isaac, they got impatient, waiting, and uh, devised a plan, Sarah and Abraham, for him to sleep with his maid, and, uh, and they had a child named Ishmael. And so this was an ungodly thing for them to do. <coughs> she got impatient, tried to help God out, and we're still fighting the angry descendants of Ishmael today <laughs> in the Middle East and all over the country, all over the world now. You see? We try to help God out. Sometimes we can do terrible things. But she's listed as a great woman of faith, even though her faith faltered. I think that's good to see that. We, we like to see examples. I love Peter, all the, you know, because he, he screwed up all the time in his big mouth. I just say, well, that's me. That's me. God still loves Peter. He still loves me too. <laughs> I'm feeding your sheep, Lord. I'm feeding your sheep. Amen. And I love you. I know you love me. She got impatient. The other one, Rahab, was a prostitute. You know what? She ended up being a great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. He chose her, didn't he? Yes, he did. I think he did that on purpose. <laughs> just, to, just to show the religious hypocrites. Those are the only two women listed there. Why do you think the Holy Spirit included those women Jesus had many women who were involved in his life and his ministry, by the way. And there was one housewife in the Bible that he called a woman of great faith. There are only two people he said that about in the Bible, and this, this housewife was one of the women of great faith. <clears throat> he said that in the Gospels. But I think the Holy Spirit put these women there just to help us today, just to help you, to lay aside all of your condemnation, to begin to believe God that he has pardoned you from all your sin through Christ. But you have to convince yourself just like Paul did. Amen. Mark chapter 5. I'll tell you one more and then we'll be done. When Jesus, this is Mark chapter 5 verse 21. <clears throat> when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea then came one of the rulers of the synagogue Jairus 
by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. <coughs> and a crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. <clears throat> For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And finally, the blood stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? <clears throat> His disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you? <laughs> In other words, there's tons of people touching him. But you ask, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. A lot of people touched him. But only one drew this response from Jesus. Only one of the, those who touched him, only one touched, pulled power out of the Lord, and he felt it. Only one touch healed, saved, and made whole. This sozo salvation came upon this woman who had struggled for 12 years. Why? She was convinced. She was convinced. If I could just touch him. I'll, I'll find a way. I'm going to get to Jesus today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to him. And if I just touch him, I'm going to be, I know it. I'm convinced. I'm going to be healed. And she did it. In the same way today, you need to convince yourself. You need to persuade yourself. Jesus is my healer and by his stripes I am healed, prospered, <coughs> anointed, loved, redeemed, forgiven. Quit trying to convince God that you believe this. He doesn't need to be persuaded. His blessing is already on you in Christ. And he's willing. You need to convince yourself. A lot of times we try to convince God that we, that we believe. Instead of convincing ourselves of the truth of what we need to believe. We, we try to get God to bless us indirectly by telling so many people that we believe in God. Oh, I'm just believing the Lord. <laughs> we think that if we just outwardly do that enough that God's going to see us and have mercy. Oh man, look how many people he's told he's believing God or she's believing God. I guess I'll just have to go ahead and do it. That's not it. 
We just have to convince ourselves and, and go and get it from God. You see, it's already been established. The grace of God has already been provided through the atonement of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. It's already established. We need to put our trust in His finished work and His promises regarding us for our life and just go and get what's already been provided for us. How do we do it? By faith. We use our faith. Faith retrieves that which has already been provided by grace. The way to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's, he's alive. He's willing. He loves you. Jesus has already earned all the things pertaining to life and godliness for us. It's already been provided as a free gift just because we released our faith in the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared to all men. This grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, but we have to learn how to appropriate it by coming into relationship with Jesus, beginning to live a life of love and faith, and all of us who have a hope and a future with God, we can accredit it to what Jesus has already done on our behalf on the cross. He doesn't owe us anything. Nothing we can do to earn His grace or earn our salvation. Jesus paid for it all. We need to focus on Him and His finished work and His pure love toward us and His promises regarding us. And that's how we bring the grace of God into manifestation in our lives, not by our good works, but the more you draw upon His grace by your faith, the more His life will abound in yours. The more holy you will live, the more life of love and peace and joy and all the wonderful things provided by grace will be manifest in your life just by putting your trust in what's already been given for you and promised to you. He doesn't want you jumping through religious hoops to try to earn these things to seek His approval or the approval of men. Just, just learn to let God love you. It'll cause you to love Him back. We love Him because He first loved us, is what it says in 1 John 3. Plenty of good reasons to live a holy life. But don't fall into the trap of believing it's a prerequisite to the relationship with God. Just turn to Jesus. And as He begins to earn your trust, you'll begin to change effortlessly as His Word takes root in your heart and begins to bear fruit in your life. When you come to understand how holy your Father in Heaven truly is, how much He utterly detests all sin and that the punishment for all that sin, even thoughts and as well as deeds, is, is death. And, and you realize that Jesus came and He took that death. He died for you. He took away the sin nature from you. And now He has empowered you by His grace to do anything and everything He has for you to do in this life. Then you'll well up with joy and with peace. You'll get mad at the devil which is where your anger belongs, directed at Satan, because he's the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. destroy. The love and goodness of God will cause you to say, by the grace of God, I will not yield 
to the devil anymore. I will not allow his access into my life. I will not allow him access to my family. By God's mercy and grace, I am alive and free to live for God, and I will be deceived no more. I'm convinced that God is for me and that he's provided for me everything that I need. Like the song says, my God is a good, good father. A good, good father. And I'm loved by him. I love that song. And I, I, I long for everyone to really know him. To really know him. How beautiful he is. To know the power of his grace. His, his grace provides, Chris. It, it provides. And, and if we are struggling in any area of our life, we need to run to God, not from Him. His grace provides the victory. If we're struggling in our emotions, His grace provides the victory. If we're struggling with addiction, His grace provides the victory. If we're struggling with sickness in our body, His grace provides the victory. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. From the crack house to the white house, His grace provides the victory. If we have a loved one we're believing for, His grace provides the victory. By grace, He has given me this ministry and many of you to help those who seek Him to come to the obedience of the faith. If you just believe, if, if you would just decide to believe and to trust in God and His promises regarding you, then your faith will rise up. Oh, we just need to decide today, to be convinced today, to go further in faith than ever before. Forgiveness, peace, healing, joy, unspeakable love, victory over all sin. Don't let the devil lie to us anymore. Joy unspeakable is ours in Christ Jesus. Prosperity. Wholeness. Mothers. Children can hurt you. Children will hurt you. <laughs> Maybe you've hurt them too. God's grace is more powerful than any of that. Just give it to Him. Give it all to Him. If you're weary and heavy laden, just give it to Him. Give it to Him. He'll give you rest. Let Him restore your soul. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of love. He's the God of peace. Just praise Him. Thank Him and praise Him and trust Him. 1 Corinthians 16.23 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And it is. Amen. Jesus, Jesus never turned His back on anyone who came to Him. Ever. Ever, ever, ever said no to anyone. He never did.
thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your truth, your grace and your truth. Thank you for giving us greater revelation, knowledge of your will, of your ways, of your power. Your power that you've given to us for this life. To live a life of over, overcoming victory. Anointed, blessed, prosperous. Living with your joy as our strength. Denying the enemy access into our lives or that of those we love. We thank you for the great authority you've given us to speak to our mountains. Command them to be uprooted and cast into the sea. Help us to see things that we believe for coming to pass. Help our, our godly imagination to prosper in hope, believing that your promises will come to pass in our life as we stand believing, settling for nothing less. Help us to know, Lord, if we're not living on the edge, we're taking up too much space to quit just trying to do the things for you that we know we can achieve in our own flesh, but to seek you and to believe for greater things, things that we could never accomplish on our own, the very kinds of things that you excel in and have for us to do. I believe that everyone in this church will walk in the fullness of your power and victory and gifts, Holy Spirit, and be a blessing to this world and to the body of Christ, helping others to achieve the fullness of your power and grace and love and victory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for mothers everywhere. We bless them. Thank you, Lord, for saving Chris. Thank you, Lord, for his help keeping those cars off his bike. And thank you, Lord, for loving us and looking in on every detail of our lives, as well as all the great things that you have for us to achieve. Help us to walk in total humility, not seeing ourselves as nothing, because we're never apart from you but just magnifying you and your finished work, knowing that we're nothing apart from you, but we're never apart from you, and we're just going to focus on you and your promises and your provision of grace and power for our lives. And we will experience the abundance of your peace and joy and grace by faith in Jesus' finished work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 